This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 285 of the Bugle Audio Newspaper for a Visual World with me, Andy Zaltzman, live in London in a new studio this week, just around the corner from uh, St. Paul's Cathedral, little Chrissy Wren's bulbous big top for big baby Jesus. And in New York City, USA, it's the future head of FIFA himself, the Brito-American ambassador to Australia, it's John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Uh, if I cannot run FIFA into the ground, Andy, nobody can. <laughs> I, 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 what I'm willing to offer is more incompetence than it has seen in the past. That is my final and only offer. That is, a, uh, that is an extraordinary claim to be able to do that, John. <laughs> I mean, you've, I you're a man of many I abilities. I don't but... make it lightly, Andy. Yeah. I don't, I'm not qualified to do that job. <laughs> I think I will harm the institution, but I know that's not enough, because Sepp Blatter already can take me on, though. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> I know I need to get more incompetent, faster and harder, but I'm saying I think I can do it. Right. I mean, I can't see how you will do that other than filling the FIFA building with livestock and slaughtering them all with your bare hands. Well, I'm not at liberty to say whether that is or isn't on my platform. <laughs> I will say that I have 300,000 pigs, angry <laughs> and ready to charge. <laughs> Tragic news in Saudi Arabia uh, just came in yesterday, of course, Bugles, where uh, Saudi uh, King Abdullah passed away at 90 or 91 or 92 or 93. <laughs> no one's sure exactly when he was born or whether he was a spectacular hologram all these years. Uh, but uh, the new Saudi king is going to be, I believe, his half-brother, who is 79 years old. So it's good to see they're getting some fresh blood in there, Andy. <laughs> Well, it's just Mourinho's taken at the moment. Otherwise, I think they'd have gone for him. Or <laughs> Sepp Blatter, if I, uh, if I push him out. I don't think even the Saudis would <laughs> lower their ethical bar to allow Blatter in. <laughs> uh, so we are, we are, as I said, recording just around the corner from St Paul's Cathedral and just across the road from uh, St Bart's Hospital, or at least the old, the old bit of it, where... Chris, the producer, has just told us... Go on, the Bart's! Uh, he was born. So, when was that? What, uh, 35 years ago? 1979. Yeah. Good year. Wow. Terrific year. For, uh, so now, can you tell me, Chris, because uh, I, I was born nowhere near the vicinity of a cathedral uh, yep. in uh, in Hammersmith. John, were you born anywhere near a major cathedral? No, no, Andy, I was born in Birmingham. Uh, <laughs> very much, you know, the, Which, the... as we know, would have no cathedrals in it because it's 100% Muslim. It's just a lot of mosques. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, the whole city is just a just a living, breathing mosque now, um, <laughs> as it was then and always and always has been and always will be. Chris, do you feel that you're more godly as a result of just being born near one of the Lord's properties? Of, of course. Yeah. I feel, t- I feel blessed. Do you think, I mean, does that manifest itself in your <laughs> bizarre obsession with triathlons? It is does. That... It's always been about the Holy Trinity. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> what was the Holy Trinity except for, you know, a really intense triathlon? <laughs> <laughs> Who was which bit? Oh, Jesus was on the bike for me. Yes. Hence the term Christ on a bike. You know what? I can't remember what the other two parts of the Holy <laughs> Trinity are right now. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Amen. Well, it's a team game, isn't it? You don't see individuals just working <laughs> terrifically as a, as a combination. Like uh, Barcelona's midfield. <laughs> that's from a few years ago. Uh, as always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, audio beauty tips. 
Uh, turn to minute 53 of this audio newspaper for advice on how to make yourself sound more beautiful, uh, including reviews of all the latest uh, audio beauty technology, including uh, percubras larynx symbols, turn your coughs into dramatic clangs, uh, snurlets leg organs, affix these high-quality organ pipes to your thighs and calves when you go jogging, and as you run and the air flows through the pipes, enjoy soothing harmonies reminiscent of a very enjoyable church funeral. And remember that the faster you run, the funkier at the funeral. Also, the Sanuki harmonic cushion, modelled on the classic whoopee cushion but fitted with a small harmonica, uh, so that when you sit down, your companions, rather than suffering the soul-sapping misery of fake flatulence, can enjoy a sweet little blast of the blues from the makers of the Hammond snoozophone, which transordiates your nighttime snoring into a loud brassy pop and uh, sexificate that mundane voice of yours with the new noise cancelling sex symbol personal mini amp Schneisel voice alterizer simply affix the specially devised audio mask around the lower part of your face and the voice alterizer will translate your humdrum tones or embarrassing regional twang into the voice of one of the sexiest sounding celebrities in history with a choice for women of Monroe, Bardo, Emberg, Albright, Thatcher or Gaga and for men Clooney, Nicholson, Benno or Zaltzman. Uh, also we look at the latest uh, Blink and clink with all new eyelash bells. Uh, ladies, be literally as bold as brass with a boob tuber with underquire. And for those big nights outs, the pukulele. That section in the bin. <laughs> This week, give me a D, give me an A, give me a V, give me an O, give me an S. What have you got? A collection of billionaires and a Swiss f***ing ski resort for some reason. Check your Rolex, it's Davos time! <laughs> Andy, it's January, it's the start of the year, there are gigantic economic problems in both the developed and the developing world. Once again, it's time for the tiny Swiss town of Davos to step the f*** up and sort things the f*** out. Those yodeling, cheese-chomping, multilingual, fondue-stirring, Nazi-sympathizing maniacs just cannot help Andy, but try to help the rest of us on a once-a-year convention-staging basis. Now, to be fair, the annual World Economic Forum in Davos can actually do a lot of good, as long as that good is restricted to the January balance sheet of high-end hotels in the Davos area. <laughs> The, uh, the summit has been running since 1971, when 400 business leaders were invited to Davos to discuss things and eat things and <laughs> slide down things, um, with the things they were invited to slide down being mostly, but not entirely, mountains. <laughs> not entirely. Uh, the guest list for Davos is a who's who of people uh, who were uh, you to find yourself in a room with them would make you think, oof, what the f*** am I doing in here? <laughs> Ev Everyone, from the head of J.P. Morgan Chase to Jamie Dimon to the Prime Minister of Greece to gigantic hedge fund managers to Tony Blair to Bono. Because of course Bono was there, Andy. <laughs> of course he was f***ing there. He is at all of these things. It, he's at every world meeting for everything nowadays. So much so, it's getting to a point where it's starting to seem weird when he is not somewhere. When, when you look at a photo of the G20 world leaders standing together at a summit, you can't help but find yourself thinking, hold on, where the f*** is Bono? Before probably going, oh, no, don't worry, there he is. He's standing next to the Prime Minister of Italy wearing those stupid f***ing glasses again. <laughs> Because there was concern, he had quite a serious uh, accident recently. There was some concern that uh, the edge might have to go to Davos this year. <laughs> that, that's place. when you know the world is in real trouble. But <laughs> you know, maybe again, maybe a breath of fresh air would would help bringing in the edge, or maybe Larry Mullen could just go in and and throw drumsticks at people. <laughs>
Uh, Tony Blair was there. Um, yep. Uh, he appeared on a panel entitled "Religion: A Pretext for Conflict?" Question mark. Which must have been, <laughs> which must have been a pretty fucking short discussion. Yes. Next question, please. People have been using religion as a pretext for doing some strikingly unreligious things since before the beginning of time, probably even since before the one true Lord invented the Earth in 4004 BC. And if you disagree with that timeline, I'll f***ing punch your lights out. Uh, wars have been fought so over time for believing in the wrong gods, or more often the wrong version of the right god. That really seems to wind people up. Or believing in no god, or too many gods, or believing in the right version of the right god, but not believing in, in him quite f***ing hard enough. Um, or her, or, or it, or, but usually, probably him. Uh, audience member Henning Zierock, uh, the president of the Culture of Peace Society, uh, nice idea, bit of ground to make up, uh, uh, told Blair, I think you have a great responsibility for the conflicts we have now. To which Blair blushed demurely and said, well, thank you very much, it's lovely of you to say so, but I really want to take all the credit. A lot of people put in a lot of work to start and perpetuate this cycle of conflict, so really this compliment is not just for me, it's for everyone who works together for this as well. I'd like to thank my family, my Labour Party, my Parliament, myself, and of course my friend, confidant, tennis buddy and double act partner, God, without whose help none of this would have been possible. The problem with Davos is not so much the content, because there isn't really any. Uh, it's a gigantic <laughs> networking opportunity masquerading as a humanitarian summit. The thing that sticks in your throat every year is the optics of this whole shaboggle. Because the whole of Davos has more than a whiff of Bond villain lair about it. <laughs> and most of the photographs that come out of the many opulent parties that CEOs attend to hobnob with politicians, printers and billionaires look so ridiculously overblown that you are half expecting Batman to burst through a glass <laughs> ceiling and just start punching people in the face. <laughs> there, there's a lot of talk at Davos about how to alleviate poverty, but that is a little hard to swallow from those particular people at that particular place at that particular moment. Because if they are the solution for poverty, they're at least partially the cause of it as well. <laughs> there, are, there are so many jarring juxtapositions there every year, and this year has been no different. Uh, there are the depressingly futile cries for awareness, such as the 193 snowmen this year, with national flags tied around their necks, attempting to highlight how important it is for the world's richest people to do more about poverty, growing inequality, and climate change. And to be honest, Andy, the most honest and intellectually consistent response many of the wealthy attendees of Davos could have to those snowmen would be to A, sit back in a leather chair and watch those snowmen melt to the ground while chewing on a lobster and laughing. <laughs> B, urinate up the side of those snowmen while chewing on a lobster and laughing. Or C, both A and B together. <laughs> or D, just let, just, just let them melt so all that's left is the little bits of coal that were its buttons, a little satire on humanity's over-reliance over on fossil fuels. The, uh, in fact, this year's winner of the award for breathtaking lack of self-awareness was US real estate magnate Jeff Green, a man who is worth over $2 billion and who apparently flew to Davos on a private jet with his wife, kids and two nannies to deliver a speech where he warned Americans that they need to live with less to help the economy. <laughs> Bloomberg News quoted him yesterday as saying... America's lifestyle expectations are far too high and need to be adjusted so we have less things and a smaller, better existence. We need to reinvent our whole system of life. And here's the thing, Andy. He's not entirely wrong about that. And he's not even a terrible man. He's joined the Buffett 
initiative to uh, give away most of his money before he dies. But there's a time and a place to deliver a message like that, Andy. And the World Economic Forum in Davos is neither of them. <laughs> there's been quite a lot of publicity over the report that's uh, from Oxfam that suggested that the richest 1% of the world will earn more than the remaining 99% put together within just uh, a few years. But whenever there's a sort of complaint about this and suggesting that maybe the super wealthy should give more, uh, often people are accused of the politics of envy. Uh, I'm not sure it's the politics of envy, John. I think it's more just the politics of basic politeness, uh, not quite <laughs> hoarding so much of the world's resources uh, for yourself. And it reminds me very much of a birthday party I went to uh, a few years ago with 15 other people, and there was a cake sliced into 10 slices. Now, Fat Alan, who'd invited himself to the party and just uh, marched in, helped himself to nine of those 10 slices of the cake. I complained to him and said, Alan, that's not fair. And he replied, <laughs> I said, Alan, it's not fair you're having almost all the cake. And he replied, don't be jealous, Andy. I said, Alan, you fat prick, there's hardly anything left for everyone else. He replied, there wasn't enough to go around anyway. Well, ten of us could have had a slight slice each, said someone else. Well, Alan replied, that leaves me eight slices down. How is that fair? OK, big man, I said, but there was enough that you could have had four slices, someone else could have had two, three people could have had one each, and the other ten could at least have had just a little nibble to see what it was like. I don't see your point, replied Alan. I've got nine slices. That is way more than the four slices you are now offering me. Yeah, I see that, but it's still not fair, Alan. He replied, it's fairer than no one having any cake. I said, that wasn't the choice. He said, wasn't it, Trotsky? Tell you what, I'll vomit two of the slices back up onto the plate, and then you can all have a bit. Is no one up for that? You ungrateful little shit. Besides, I paid for the cake. No, you didn't, Alan, I replied. We all chipped in with a pound each. Apart from you, it cost £14. Here you go, he said. Here's £8. I've now paid for the cake, and you owe me £6 change. I thought, hang on, 8 plus 6 is 14. That must be... Hang on! He said, I'll let you off two pounds of the change if you let me have the last slice of cake. Do we have a deal? I said, where is the last slice of cake? And he said... (laughs) Very reminiscent of that for me, John. This uh, chilling new research was released with an excellent sense of timing by anti-poverty charity Oxfam to uh, coincide with Davos, pointing out to reiterate that the wealthiest 1% of the world will soon own more than the entire rest of the world's population put together. Uh, they say that they expect the wealthiest 1% to own more than 50% of the world's wealth by 2016. And at that point, presumably, the wealthiest people will celebrate by urinating on a completely melted snowman. <laughs> the, the director of Oxfam actually co-chaired Davos this year and stated beforehand that she wanted to use her role at the forum to demand immediate action to narrow the wealth gap, saying business as usual for the elite is not a cost-free option. <laughs> Failure to tackle inequality will set the fight against poverty back decades, and that's clearly true. But for many extremely wealthy people, the cost is not going to be felt either financially or emotionally, because for them to feel a cost, they would need to be invested somehow in poor people, rather than seeing them as an occasionally unwanted jet ski obstruction. <laughs> What, what was that thud? I think I may have just hit one of them, Jeremy. God, I hope that was a dolphin. Fingers crossed. Whack it with your foot, will you? <laughs> well, in response to that uh, that comment, um, the the world's elite did reply... Oxfam has always used Davos to pin depressing reports to. And this means you can actually track developments over the years. And last year, Oxfam made headlines when they revealed that the richest 85 people on the planet have the same wealth as the poorest 50%. And luckily, there's been 
a bit of a development on that uh, number. <laughs> Unluckily, it is in the wrong direction because it is now the 80 richest people that have the same wealth as the poorest 50%. And you really have to feel for the five people who fell off that list, Andy, at the top, not the 3.5 billion people who <laughs> remain at the bottom. But, I mean, let, we, there's two sides to every coin, John. It's also true that the uh, 3.5 billion spiritually richest people... <laughs> in the world <laughs> are as spiritually uh, rich as the oh, that, that sentence is going nowhere I think there's possibly a joke in there somewhere <laughs> but it definitely did not come out there the, uh, come, I'll work the, on it for the next month the, the barrier of entry to Davos alone is interesting uh, to get to Davos you need to be one of two things A. Uh, either a professional henchman or B. <laughs> riot inducingly rich uh, just to have the opportunity to be invited to Davos uh, first you have to be personally invited to become a member of the World Economic Forum a Swiss non-profit organisation and I'm not sure that any combination of words sets off more alarm bells in my mind than Swiss non-profit organisation <laughs> it literally feels as if a room has just gotten slightly colder whenever those words are uttered out loud in fact if you utter Swiss non-profit organisation three times out loud, it's automatically punctuated by a clap of thunder. <laughs> uh, once you've been invited to become a member of the World Economic Forum, you then have to choose from several levels of membership. Now, you would think that those three levels would be douche, power douche, and sociopath. <laughs> but you'd, you'd actually be wrong, because the New York Times revealed back in 2011 the cost of attendance, and it worked out like this. The basic level of membership... Um, to uh, the World Economic Forum will get you an invitation to purchase a single ticket to Davos, no plus one, and that membership alone will cost you $52,000. The tickets itself cost $19,000 plus tax, so I'm guessing that if you're that rich, you're not really paying any tax on your income, so you're sure as shit not going to be paying tax on a f***ing ticket. Now, this means that to get in for the first time, you're going to be shelling out $71,000, and that's at the lowest level. The industry associate level would cost you $150,000 $56,000 all in. And at that point, you may as well just bump yourself up to the strategic partner level, which apparently will cost you $527,000. That is the annual membership, which entitles you to up to five inter invitations, all of which you will still have to pay for at $90,000 a pop, <laughs> bringing you to a total of $622,000. At that point, Andy, Bono had better fucking be there, and he'd better be sitting in the corner of the breakfast buffet playing where the streets have no name and giving out free head massages. <laughs> I do. I think you do get a free sports hold all with the, the top-level membership, though. So okay, well, that kind of offsets that it. Does, then, everyone loves a hold all. It's always nice to have free things. <laughs> um, there are a number of uh, issues on the uh, agenda. Uh, the oil crisis, the globe-plunging oil costs, uh, oil prices has, of, of course, been uh, plunging like a, a French coffee addict. Um, the current slump is good news, John, because uh, it means that the fuel in my car is cheaper. But it could be leading to a catastrophic rise over the next few years to up to $150 a barrel, which will be bad because that means the fuel in my car will be much more expensive. That is the only possible terms we in Britain can understand the oil crisis, according to our news coverage. And uh, the Eurozone as well, uh, which of course has been flagging like Leo Tolstoy at the live semaphore edition of War and Peace. And um, there, there's been some massive quantitative easing announced, John. Um, uh, $60 billion a month worth 
of uh, quantitative easing as Europe tries to stimulate its apparently dead flesh by throwing not really good money after bad, because it's already thrown the good money after the bad, and now it's throwing in pretend money after both the good money and the bad money to see if it can break up the fight that broke out between them. Davos Fact Box. Uh, Davos was in fact named after the uh, person who founded it. Uh, an Australian explorer who stumbled upon a cowshed during a blizzard whilst backpacking through the Alps in the 13th century. <laughs> he claimed it as his own, slumped in the corner drunk, and never left. A settlement that evolved around it has been known ever since as Davos. Um, <laughs> Davos was once the self-styled Cote d'Azur of coughing up blood. It became the must-be-heard coughing venue of choice for the 19th century celebrity tuberculosis sufferer, Robert Louis Stevenson, the famous Scottish writer, author of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde, a savage critique on the relative merits of private and public healthcare provision, went to Davos to splutter his guts out in 1880. But it didn't do him any good. He died 14 years later. Davos has a special place in the heart of English sports fans because it was there that England became European champions for the only time. Did you know that, Chris? No. In 1913, in the little-known sport of bandy which is basically giant outdoor ice hockey. We're still, that's the only time the European Championships have been, ever been held 102 years ago, because we are still unbeatable at a sport that no one in this country has ever heard of. Um, Davos is in a mountain valley, that's a fact, but if it were on a desert plain, it would be a very different place with fewer skiers and no annual meeting of the minted. According to the census in the year 2000, there were eight Jews in Davos. Most of them probably looking around the local art gallery thinking, yeah, that's probably one of ours. I reckon that is definitely one of ours. <laughs> and here's a final fact about Davos. Uh, the Birdie Song, uh, also known as the Chicken Dance, was composed by an accordion player called Werner from Davos. Do you know that, John? Can we have a little blast of it, Chris? Yep. Is that available is. with... Uh, with co- You've got it. The dance which involves making a chicken beak shape with your hands, flapping imaginary chicken wings, waggling a pretend chicken tail and spinning around in some form of ironic flight is now seen by most economists as a brutal critique on the heartless spiritual void at the core of global capitalism. The chicken representing the battery-farmed mass of humanity placed at big business's mercy, able to be only a parodic version of itself without its prime function, laying any eggs. And that is your Davos Fact Box. Bugle appeal updates, and uh, last week we launched an appeal to raise money for um, cancer treatment for my daughter's friend, uh, Michelle, um, who needs uh, some sort of pioneering immunotherapy treatment uh, at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Uh, Buglers, uh, I cannot thank you enough for your, frankly, heroic response to this. We've, uh, in just the first week, raised more than £37,000 from uh, over, uh, from almost 1,800 different donors. Uh, you've been, frankly, spectacularly generous. And uh, thanks for all your contributions and the uh, kind comments you've left uh, on the page. Uh, for those of you who still want to donate, uh, the page is www.gofundme.com slash this hyphen is hyphen Michelle. And I'm hoping that by next week we'll have a, an update on when she might be able to start the treatment. But, um, yeah, thank you so much for all those uh, who've given, and do, um, if you can, uh, continue to contribute uh, to this. It could make a, a massive difference uh, to Michelle uh, and her family. Uh, the page, again, uh, gofundme.com slash this hyphen is hyphen Michelle, and um, I think there's a, a link on the Bugle website now. Nice one! 
sports news now, and American sport has been rocked to its very core in the build-up to the Super Bowl by Deflategate. Probably the biggest scandal ever to hit America. I think this puts Watergate very much uh, back in the sock drawer where it belongs. Um, it, there have been allegations that the New England Patriots may have deliberately deflated balls in uh, their uh, championship uh, uh, playoff against the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Have I used the right terminology there? Championship playoff, it sounds about right. Um, yeah. Which they won by a massive margin, I think 45-7. Uh, Turns out 11 of the 12 balls they used were deflated beyond legal limits. John, how is America reacting to probably the biggest scar in its ethical history? Well, a little like, you know, we reacted to the Wall Street meltdown in 2008, Andy. Yeah, it's incredibly annoying, but you kind of assume they were up to this kind of shit anyway, and I guess the chickens finally come home to roost. The Patriots, Andy, are not you know, the most ethically pristine organisation. They have been involved in this kind of petty shit before, and they'll be involved in this kind of petty shit again. Uh, well, it does turn out the the Patriots did show their patriotism to cheeky underhand tactics land uh, by uh, supposedly deflating these balls to make them easier for ace quarterback Tom Brady to throw. But, of course, this has been an issue in top-level football for a long time, John. Really, ever since the Denver Drillbits used homing pigeons inside balls in a match in 1927. That, of course, in the game with the Nantucket Gobblers. Uh, later on, of course, there was the famous controversy when the notoriously hard-nosed Texas lettuces gained a shock victory over the mighty Los Angeles lungs by making them use balls which transpired to have been severed dog's heads coated with soap and then painted to look like normal footballs using icing, sugar and food colouring. Um, plus today's further allegations against the Patriots um, that the not particularly crucial sixth touchdown was used uh, was scored using a drone, not a football. So, I mean, what are the likely punishments for um, for the Patriots after this, this shocking breach of uh, inflation regulations? Something akin to a slap on the wrist that right. is closer to a stroke on the wrist, Andy. <laughs> okay. Because I heard that it's possible that if found guilty, they will not be allowed to listen to the half-time show at the Super Bowl. Which, uh, I mean, that's... They never, ever get away. It's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, Andy. Right. They never get away with a level of punishment that harsh. That's the shock, because it's a big gig. It's Katie Perry, Andy. Well, it was Katie Perry. She's un- unfortunately had to st- step out because she's busy. She's being replaced by ace classical pianist Daniel Barenboim, who's uh, going to be <laughs> tinkling out some of his classic hits, raising, uh, ranging from uh, Beethoven's Appassionata Sonata to Barbar Black Sheep, Have You Any Wool, to Schub- Schubert's Piano Minuet Number. No. Foot 34, f*** this shit, to his own <laughs> solo version of the Boney M hit, Hooray, Hooray, It's a Holly Holly Day. Uh, other possible punitions for the Boston-based franchise include a $500 million fine to be paid in weekly instalments of $10 in coins over the next one million years. They might be forced to play the Super Bowl in nothing but speedo swimming trunks and tutus, or they could have to play the whole of the 2015 season using an 18th century lead cannonball instead of a conventional football. Um, And, I mean, a lot of people have pointed the finger at Brady, John, and, uh, I mean, it is true, he wrote in his autobiography, I believe, that he's always found squidgier balls easier to hurl since growing up in his uncle Wendell's tropical juice factory where young Tom was paid to tenderise already overripe mangoes, papayas and Spanish melons by hurling the ovoid fruit as hard as possible into the juicing vats at the far end of the factory, thus saving Uncle Wendell up to $3 a year in wear and tear on the upkeep of the juicing grinders. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this, uh, this story pans out. 
Your emails now, and we have an email here from uh, Sammy who says, Dear Bugle, as I write this, I'm currently stranded in a car, bogged in soft sand in the Australian desert, listening to the Bugle 250 on a loop, because for some reason that was the only sound file present on my tablet computer. Wow, you're describing a nightmare. Now, <laughs> But by the time you get this message, either we will have dug ourselves free or we, we will be dead. <laughs> and whoever finds this car and my friends and my corpses will have followed the final instructions I fully intend to leave and send this email on to you regardless. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you and other buglers can draw joy from the image of two young women adrift in the Australian desert, baking in the summer sun with no sounds but the rustling breeze, buffing of insects and bugle 250 <laughs> drifting across the wastes. Oh, yeah. I, for one, <laughs> As I lived, enjoying the highest grade of quality refined bullshit. Also, I plan to haunt one or both of you, Sammy. Now, for a start, before we get to the epilogue here, <laughs> one or both. If you're haunting both, that's a lot of commuting for a ghost, Andy. You're basically going to have to fly across the Atlantic. You have to ghost fly. Right. Oh, you have to, that's a lot of air miles you're yeah. going to have to put in as a spirit. And you're going to have to dodge all those very stroppy Titanic passengers as well, because they, they really churn things up towards the state side of the Atlantic. Luckily, she says, P.S., we did not die before the desert claimed that some lovely Polish tourists came along with a winch. You can remain unhaunted unless there are some hotties from history runners-up or, uh, runner or runners-up holding a grudge. Apparently, the bugle also serves as adequate snake repellent. It does. <laughs> and that is not said enough. Oh, right. I mean, it's, it's not as good an email now that we know that it all ended up uh, all right. And I guess that's probably one of the very few occasions in which you're probably pleased to see Polish people turn up with a winch. Otherwise, it just might look a little bit threatening. <laughs> but it's, it, it, the, the broader point there is that the bugle is repugnant to snakes. <laughs> and that's worth knowing. Yeah. If you ever find yourself needing to, uh, you know, throw an iPod earbud at a snake who's about to attack you. Right. Just crank us up. That's, that's basically how St. Patrick got the snakes out of Ireland, I think, wasn't it? For just by the power so, of yeah. bullshit. I think it was Bugle 7 he used. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bugle 250, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm just having a look, see if it's that was... a barmer. Uh, no one is madder than a barmer. Right. I wonder if you can maybe play a clip of that and see what it would be like to die to that. <laughs> <laughs> you can maybe just have a little... Okay. Well, just see what... I, I mean, think... I think, Andy, on, on my end, I feel like that would hasten your death. <laughs> it's like when they put the spear in Jesus' side as an act of mercy. You just think you're welcoming oblivion at that point. I thought it was acupuncture. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, let's see. Buglers, now you can all imagine passing away in the middle of a desert. So these dulcet sounds. But the, the president at least claims he didn't know anything about it. Now... That Your seems time bad has in almost every possible way that you can explain it. It's bad if he signed off on it, and it's also bad if he didn't sign off on it and has now been. Uh, this email came in from Tyler in Indiana. Uh, Dear Andy, John, and Chris, in decreasing order, the amount of blame to be assigned to the decimation of my relationship. Well, decimation that just means that it's lost ten percent, um, technically. So unless you um yeah unless you had ten wives and you've had to kill one of them anyway let, let's not get into that. Um, my now ex girlfriend of more than a year writes Tyler came home the other night very upset. When I asked her how her day was, she responded that she had quote had a foul day. I resisted the impulse. A further oh, inquiry no. into the oh, course no, of her day. No, no. <laughs> I inquired asked about her co-workers 
she stated that they'd all had foul days as well. But now, I could not resist, writes Tyler. I interjected to clarify. I asked her to ensure that her co-workers were not running around, ruining her day whilst dressed in chicken costumes, for that would be a foul day indeed. My memory of the events of the next 20 minutes are a haze, writes Tyler, but I do distinctly remember asking her how recently she had hatched the idea of breaking up with me. I also distinctly remember that it was in that instant that she made the decision to break up finally and irretrievably with me. And now, because of my love of your bullshit podcast, I'm serving my punishment as a single Bugle listener. Sincerely, Tyler from Indiana. Well, I would say that any relationship needs to be tested. Uh, it's, like a, it's like a stress test. You have to take it to the brink using the power of the pun. And if it survives it, it will survive literally anything, as evidenced by the fact that I am still now with my wife and I've been together with her for nearly two decades and she could be doing a f- of a lot better so um i think you have to put your relationship through that tyler and um i don't maybe we should set up some kind of bugle dating site no 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 pun fetishes we've been there with the the, the dating anyway uh yeah better off without her tyler uh so so, (laughs) uh, do keep your emails coming in to info at the bugle podcast Dot com. Don't forget to check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle. Uh, the webpage again for Michelle's appeal is gofundme.com slash this hyphen is hyphen Michelle. I can also announce some uh, gig dates. I'm shortly uh, heading uh, to the wrong hemisphere to uh, watch and write about the Cricket World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. And I am doing shows in the following uh, great conurbations of the Southern Hemisphere. Christchurch on the 20th of February and Auckland on the 24th. Then in Australia, Saturday the 21st of March in Adelaide, the 25th of March in Sydney and the 28th of March in Melbourne. So do come along to all of those shows if you live in that part of the world. I will see you all there. The tickets, uh, I'll, I'll tweet a link to the ticket website or just look up Live Nation and Andy Zaltzman on the internet and you will find... Uh, everything that you need to know for that. I phrase that really badly. Ruthless self-promotion for 15 years in showbiz. Uh, we will be back next week with Bugle 286. Uh, until then, if you're listening in Davos, do enjoy the skiing. Um, if not, um, enjoy watching some very wealthy people ski. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.